I'll read the first 12 verses of the chapter. It says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. I'm going to pray before I continue. Lord, as we look at this passage, I just ask that you would um, give me the strength and the courage to say what needs to be said. Lord, I pray that the things that I say would be truth and honoring to you and that your word would be uplifted this morning, um, that you would be glorified in the things that are said here today, Lord. So we just ask your blessing on our time in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus begins his answer. So, and even you go back to verse 3. The Pharisees came to him tempting him. Our text is like they're not sincere in their question. They're just trying to trip him up. And they never can. And so they're, they, they come to him tempting him and asking him if it's lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause. And he answers, haven't you read? <laughs> like, go read the word, and you'll get the answers to your questions. Uh, we, were talk we were visiting with some friends this week, and he said something very similar to what I had said a few weeks ago. He says, if you want to hear God's voice, pick up your Bible and read. If you want to hear God's voice audibly, read it out loud. <laughs> That's where God speaks to us, is through his word. And this is, you want to hear what God's opinion on something is? This is where you're going to get God's opinion on something. We need to read. And Jesus points them. He's like, he's not, doesn't just answer 
Jesus is fully capable of answering whatever he wants, and it's going to be right. He's the author of the word. But he always points people back to the book and says, haven't you read? Go read it for yourself and learn what the truth is, what God's heart is on this issue. And so that's exactly what he's directing these Pharisees to do, is go and read what the Bible says. And, and now he's going to let them know what it says. He says, Haven't you read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Jesus, you, you can't find a quote that says that exact thing back in Genesis, but you can find all of those words back in Genesis because it's all written out and described there, just not all in one phrase, the way Jesus put it together. Chapter 1 speaks of God made the male and female. And then it's in chapter 2 that he describes leaving your father and mother and cleaving unto your wife. Isn't that interesting that as God, in creation, there's only two people. And God presents Eve to Adam. And in that transaction, in that if you want to call that a marriage ceremony, maybe it is. <laughs> it's the very first marriage ceremony. And he, he says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. There's no children. There's no father and mother for these people to leave. But God's looking down the road and he says, This is the pattern that I expect everybody to follow from here on. This is my design. For relationships between men and women that we're going to we're going to grow up we're going to leave our home and there's going to be a man and a woman and they're going to come together and join it together and form a union as a new family as a new person that's god's design but it's interesting this is written for us today this is purposely put here for us for this particular day when Jesus makes the point God made them male and female. Do you really think the Pharisees had an issue with <laughs> sexual orientation? I, I have my doubts. <laughs> but Jesus still makes the point God made them male and female. This is God's design. There is no other combination that's going to work because when God brought Adam and Eve together you know what his first command was be fruitful and multiply God's purpose for marriage is to join to create a family not just a couple <laughs> it's it's a family it's something that's intended to grow and multiply and there's only one way that that can happen and you need a male and a female Do you know God decided what gender you are going to be? <laughs> I'm sure you all know that. But God decided that. God put that in place right at the very beginning of your life. God decided that 
prior because God knew you before he formed you. But as he formed you, right at the very union of those first two cells determined your gender. Because it's your DNA that determines that. We, we're we well aware, we've been aware for, I don't know how long, how long have they been figuring out DNA structure and, and chromosomes and all these things, but if you have a, an XY chromosome, that determines you're that gender. If you have two X's, you're the other. I should have looked it up because I just I'm afraid of saying the wrong <laughs> answer. But I know that we know that those are the things that determine our gender. It's not our opinion. It's not what I I, I wish I was something else or I feel like I'm no, you can you can just look and you know what you are because there's physical characteristics that define these things and we know as soon as the baby comes out, we, now with ultrasounds, we know before the baby comes out what gender it is. We, you know, we have um, friends, um, some of the teens from camp, their mom was having another baby, and they were having a gender reveal party. And so at the, during this party, and this was before the baby was born, they had the ultrasound, they knew what, what it was going to be. And at the party, they were going to have a firework that got shot off, that if it was a blue baby, it was going to have a blue firework. If it was a pink baby, it was going to have a pink firework. Well, they showed the vid I shot, saw the video of the firework. I said, I'm not clear what that was. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. It wasn't, it wasn't as obvious as, as they had hoped. Um, it was just a firework, but it was a blue, blue baby. And we know what that means, right? Like, I, I don't even have to say what that means, like our world, these aren't, um, you know, the, the mom isn't a, a Christian person and, and the guy she was having the child with wasn't the dad of these other kids, like this is a mixed up family that they don't go to church, they're not Christians, they don't read their Bibles, but they know, <laughs> just inherently they know that that ultrasound showed that's a boy in there and Here's traits that our world has learned to identify with that. And we use the blue to identify that. Is that important? Well, no, it's just what we've done through, through traditions. But, but these are things that we know there's a distinction. We know there's differences. What about genderless passports? Well, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, to, to, well, we... Yeah, well, we, um, we were filling out our, our unemployment forms there um, yesterday. And one of the forms, you have to tick off your gender, and there was three options. There's only two <laughs> options, guys. <laughs> now, actually, Jesus did say, there's a third option here. There is a third option, and it's a eunuch. <laughs> you can get rid of... <laughs> Being a man, <laughs> you're still male. <laughs> you can, you're just getting rid of that aspect of the sexuality part to change some of the thoughts and the desires of our hearts. And the purpose here that Jesus is pointing at in that being a eunuch is so the purpose for God 
if you become a eunuch, and it says some became a eunuch, made themselves eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake, it's like, I don't want the distraction of that lust and that desire for a woman. I'm going to get rid of that, and I can focus on God and serving God alone. And I won't have these other distractions, because getting rid of some of these things gets rid of some of those extra desires that we have. So there, there is a third option, but it's not what was listed on the, on the forms. And, and yeah, and it, Jesus even says, our, our world talks about we're born this way, right? I'm born with this attraction or this feeling or whatever, right? That's different from what they physically are. Well, Jesus, some are born that way. Some are born a eunuch without these sexual parts of our bodies. And so, yes, there are deformities that exist. You know where those deformities come from? Back in Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned. And God put a curse on our world. Everything was perfect. When God made it, it was perfect. It was good. But sin crept in. And sin has caused every problem that we've ever experienced. Every disease, every weed, every every um, deformity that we have in our bodies, every... Darren can't walk out the door without some joint in his body hurting. Like, he just didn't do anything. It just, like, all of a sudden, this thing hurts. It's not his sin. It's not his sin problem that causes that, necessarily. It's sin, the, the, the curse on man because of sin. Our world is degenerating because of sin. And our bodies are not what they ought to be. And so some of us have weird things in our bodies, some deformities, um, and it's a result of sin. But that's not God's design initially. It's not wasn't God's plan for us. God designed man and woman and he wanted a man and a woman to come together in a marriage. And his intention is for one man and for one woman. Um, verse 6 says, Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. Two, twain is like two. <laughs> two. <laughs> one man, one woman. The two of them become one flesh. It's not like, as a, as a man, I get to have three wives and the, the, the four of us are, are one. No, that doesn't work, does it? It's, it's one man, one woman. The two become one flesh together. They are one individual, one unit. And it says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. <laughs> it has nothing to do with our ceremonies and our traditions and all these things that we do that create a marriage. Whatever it is, and we can't put our finger on what that is, but God joins a couple together and they are married in God's eyes. And he says, what God's joined together? We have no business separating that. So when you come together with another person, if you're a man and you come together with a, a woman. Sometimes we don't go through ceremonies and don't, some, some of, we've, I, I know, well, there's people in our church who 
had issues with whatever aspect of that ceremony and some of the implications of those things. And so they joined without going through a ceremony. But they're as much a married couple in God's eyes as any of the rest of us is. Because God joined them together. They are a single unit, and it would be absolutely wrong for them to separate at this point. And we can, we've had some discussions on, on that topic, and, and it's complicated, and it's difficult, but, but we realize that it's something that God has joined together, and we have no business separating that. I don't know how much of this I, I am going to read. I, I, I selected bits and pieces of a, of a document. It was a compilation of 115 or more studies that were done on marriage. And it was on a divorce lawyer's website. <laughs> Statistics of divorce in, I don't know if this is Canada, um, U.S., it seemed like it's picking stuff from all over, but um, so here's, oh, here it says, it says in America. Every 42 seconds, so just if you average it out over the period of a year, the number of divorces per year, every 42 seconds there's a divorce in America. That equates to 86 divorces per hour. So in the time that we spend here together during the service, in, in general, there's 86 couples in America get divorced. That's 2,046 per day, 14,364 divorces per week, or 746,971 per year. That is a lot of divorces going on. Fortunately, Every 16 seconds, there's a marriage in the U.S. <laughs> That's 230 per hour. So we're, we're going faster with the marriages than we are with the divorces, at least. And we could give you, it's, it's 2,015,603 per year. There are nearly, this is just points of interest, there's nearly three divorces in the time it takes for a couple to recite their wedding vows. There's more than 172 divorces occur during the typical romantic comedy movie. 430 divorces happen during the average wedding reception. And there are 5,975,768 divorces over the course of the average first marriage that ends in divorce at about eight years. The average marriage lasts eight years. Over a 40-year period, 67% of marriages terminate. Well over half over the course of 40 years. It's why we make a big deal of people's anniversaries. When you get to 30 and 40 and 50 years of marriage, it's a big deal because the majority of marriages don't last that long. Some interesting statistics of Professions with the highest divorce rates, and there's no surprises here. Dancers, bartenders, massage therapists are the top three. <laughs> Gee, <laughs> shocking. And the, the next one's gaming cage workers and gaming service workers. So, like, you're still in that same area of, of work, right? Um, you know what the professions with the lowest divorce rates are? Farmers. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're working together, right? Podiatrists, and I, haven't, I can't explain that one. Optometrists. It's just these boring occupations. I, can, I don't know. <laughs> no. Um, clergy and agricultural engineers. Those are, those are your lowest divorce rates in those fields of occupation. So Chris, agriculture. <laughs> I'm glad clergy's in there. That's, that's good. Um, the top reasons given for divorce. Um, lack of commitment is the most common reason. And we know that, right? It's, people go into to marriages half-heartedly, basically, right? Um, you know, you usually start off, well, let's check up. We're just going to live together and try this out first. And then after a certain period of time, it's like, well, I guess we should get married. And, or they have a kid, and then they decide they should get married. Like, you don't go in with... I plan on spending my life with this person, regardless of what happens down the road. That's not the attitude going in. Um, when I did the marriage for um, Jared, thank you, <laughs> Jared and Jazz this summer, I made sure I, I'm looking through different lists of um, vows, and I couldn't find a pre-written list that had this, but I had heard it in somebody else's, like, this is important to me, that they include this in their vows. And that statement was, forsaking all others. There is, that's, here's the one reason Jesus gives that's legitimate for divorce, is for fornication. If somebody isn't faithful in that marriage, if your partner isn't faithful, that's your permission to leave that marriage. That's the only permission that Jesus gives. And so we need, we need to include that forsaking all others in our vows. I, I promise I will not touch another person. I'll not look with lust on another person as long as we're both alive. We're going to stay together. And that's that lack of commitment. Some of the other things listed was they argue too much, infidelity, married too young, unrealistic expectations, lack of equality, in the relationship, lack of preparation for marriage, and domestic violence. So these are just, these are basic things. Some of the, the things that we've heard, like the top reasons for divorce, is, it says arguing too much, but the main thing is arguing over money, right? That's, that's one of the biggest things that causes divorce is arguments over money. It's as if both you and your partner have had previous marriages you're 90% more likely to get divorced than if this was the first marriage for both of you. So second marriages don't have much of a chance. 60% of cohabiting couples will eventually marry. However, living together prior to marriage can increase the chance of getting divorced by as much as 40%. So this trying it out idea that our world has ends up with more failures in those marriages. I didn't, this study didn't give as much detail as one other that I have seen in the past. I didn't go digging for it. Um, here's some very important things for us to realize. It says, women who lost their virginity as a teenager 
are more than twice as likely to get divorced in the first five years of marriage than women who waited until later. Um, and this is what, and they only said until after age, age 18. But it's, if, if you remained, a, the statistics, they didn't include this, but if you remain a virgin until marriage, the divorce rate drops, like, substantially. That is the one factor that leads to the longest marriages, is if you wait until you're married. Um, a 2011 study at the University of Iowa found that for both men and women, the loss of virginity before age 18 was correlated with a greater number of occurrences of divorce within the first 10 years of marriage. When compared with women who began sexual activity in their early 20s, girls who initiated sexual activity at the age of 13 or 14 were less than half as likely to be in stable marriages in their 30s. Less than half as likely to have a stable marriage. And in this study, a stable marriage was defined as a marriage of over five years. The risk of divorce is said to be almost doubled, which is 97% higher, when the mother went out to work, but her husband made minimal contribution to household or housework and childcare. So when, when the wife goes out to work and her husband doesn't pick up the housework, this divorce rate was 97% higher. Pornography addiction is cited as a factor in 56% of divorces. If your parents are happily married, your risk of divorce de decreases by 14%. If your parents married others after divorcing, you're 91% more likely to get divorced. So if you, as a parent, think that this doesn't affect your children, wow, it affects your children and your children's children because this divorce system, this cycle, perpetuates. According to Nicholas Wolfinger, in understanding the divorce cycle, the risk of divorce is 50% higher when one spouse comes from a divorced home and 200% higher when both partners come from a divorced home. 200% higher chance of divorce if both couples of the couple's parents were divorced. In addition, children of divorce are 50% more likely to marry another child of divorce. It's a strange <laughs> factoid. Certain studies have shown that daughters of divorced parents have a 60% higher divorce rate in marriages than children of non-divorced parents, while sons have a 35% higher rate. So it affects girls more than, more than boys, apparently. Half of all children in the United States will witness the ending of a parent's marriage. Of this half, close to 50% will also see the breakup of a parent's second marriage. Having a baby before marriage can increase the risk of divorce by 24%. And I don't think I have it written down, but you know what a factor in keeping marriages together is having children. <laughs> You're less likely to get divorced if you have children in your marriage, but if you have those children before getting married, you have a higher chance of divorce. Isn't that interesting? Feeling that one spouse 
spent money foolishly increase the likelihood of divorce by 45% for both men and women. Couples that argue about finances at least once a week are 30% more, more likely to get divorced. The same study also found that couples with no assets at the beginning of a three-year period are 70% more likely to divorce by the end of that period than couples with 10,000 in assets. So there's just financial things. Um, each liter of alcohol consumed raises the chance of divorce by 20%. Each liter of alcohol consumed increases... Per year, from what I can gather, because it, sa it says factor in the average American drinks 9.4 liters of alcohol per year. I don't know if they've watched guys drink beer, but <laughs> I, would have, I would assume higher than that. But, but uh, so just go by that. So the, the 9.4 liters of alcohol per year is what they're saying in, in their comparison. Um, per year, raising their divorce likelihood by 188%. Isn't that incredible? You think these things that we do don't affect <laughs> others, and it's, it's no big deal. Well, it, it's a big deal. Marriages end over these, these, what we think are little things that we're doing, right? If a, Here's my, my last two, two things here. It says, if a close friend gets divorced, you are 147% more likely to become divorced. And 33% more likely if a friend of a friend is divorced. <laughs> if your friend's friend gets divorced, you're more likely to end up getting divorced. Pick your friends carefully, is what they're saying. Studies at the University of California and Brown University cite that when a married person works with someone who is in the process of divorcing, it increases the married person's chances of divorce by 75%. If your coworker is going through a divorce, you're 75% more likely to also get divorced. Well, it has to do with the intimacy of those relationships, how much time you spend and the, how much they complain about your, their spouse, that they're divorcing, and you're starting to do the same in your head, taking all their points and starting to think of all the negative things about your own spouse. And it deteriorates your marriage. So listening to somebody else complain about their spouse, you think it doesn't hurt you? It hurts you because it's causing you to think negative thoughts about your own. And it's increasing a coworker. It increases your likelihood by 75% of getting divorced yourself. When I went through this list, and you know, for the sake of time, I can't go through every different thing that we did here, said here, but if you start thinking about your Bible and the things that your Bible has to say about these things, all of this is, is dealt with in Scripture. <laughs> Every one of these issues that causes divorce is dealt with in Scripture and tells us not to be like that, 
not to do those things, not to take part in those things. Marriage is designed for one man and a one woman together forever. We see that in uh, Timothy and Titus. These are the pastoral epistles. The, the qualifications of a pastor and a deacon require that you're the husband of one wife. That means I can't have two wives sitting here in the church with me, but I, can't all, I, I believe that would also indicate I can't have a past wife from a previous marriage. Right? This is God's design is one man and one woman that stay together. There's an order in, the, in those relationships. And it talked about the, the increase of divorce when the woman went out and got a job and the dynamics at home because of that creates a lot of divorce. Um, God creates order in relationships in the, in the marriage. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 deals with that quite a bit. And he describes the husband as the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Our marriages are supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. <laughs> Mine definitely fails at that. <laughs> but that's what God's design is, is that the way the husband treats the wife is supposed to picture what Christ has done for the church. How are you doing, guys? <laughs> are you treating your wife? Are you sacrificing yourself for the sake of your wife? These are important things to consider, what that looks like in the picture that is there for us. I'm going to get you to turn to uh, Titus chapter 2. I want you to know that this isn't my words. <laughs> Titus chapter 2, um, in verse 4, says, and, and this is just talking about um, people in the church and our roles and, and how, how people should behave. I'll just start at the beginning just to, to build that up, I guess. I'll start in verse 1. So Titus chapter 2, verse 1 says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Our world hates everything that I just read, doesn't it? <laughs> the whole women's liberation movement hated every word of what I just read. And our world today with all this um, gender identity and all these things hate everything about what we just read. 
But the elders, the older men and women, your job is to live a holy life that's an example to the younger men and women and to teach. And this specifically was the older women are to teach the younger women how to be a good wife, <laughs> how to take care of their home and to, to live a, a holy, honorable life that avoids all the problems that we listed through all these things that cause divorce. If we would live the way the Bible describes, the chance of divorce pretty much goes out the window. This carries on to, to talk to the young men, says young men, exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed. You know what it's like to be around somebody that just, their character makes you feel uncomfortable at the way you joke and the way, like, the harshness of your speech or, or the way you talk about someone. It's like, you just almost catch yourself as like, they don't talk like this about people. They don't have that manner of, of, of joking and foolishness. It's just like there's something different about that person. This is what he's describing ought to be us. And the world should be uncomfortable around us in that when they do these things, when they say certain things or have certain attitudes, it should our response or the way that we are should make them uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Which was one of the things here. When your friend gets divorced, chances are so are you. Be careful of who you choose and who you hang around with, who you associate with. We should turn also to Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives. I can't just talk about wives and their role. But... Before I, I continue with this husband's part, the, the wives it says to be keepers at home. You know what? One of the biggest things in divorce was when the woman went and got a job and the husband didn't pick up the things at home. <laughs> That's the complaint, right? It's like, I come home and I still have to do all of this stuff. We need. We realize that Taking care, taking care of the children and providing meals for all of us to eat. That's not a demeaning job. <laughs> that is the most important job. And so we're not putting down a wife in that role when we say, you should stay home and do those things because your family depends on somebody being there to do that. The, your husband's ability to, to be a provider depends on being able to come home and have those things taken care of and being supported in the work that he's doing. Your children need to grow up in a home that's taken care of, where they're fed on a regular schedule and they have structure. It's just, it's not a, it's not a demeaning role. That's like a, the most important role you can have. It's, it's, 
it's taking that too lightly that causes women to feel a need to go and get a job. It's us having too many desires and wanting things that causes women to go and feel like they need to get a job. We need to be satisfied with simpler lives, I think. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, and we could read more of it, but I'll just keep it limited. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And he then makes the comparison between the marriage and the church and Christ and the church. And the last verse there, verse 33, says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, every one of you, so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. But men, we are to love our wives. And wives are to submit to their husbands. And if we would each do that, without any conditions placed on it, if I can love my wife without a condition of her doing this, that, or the other thing, without her submitting to whatever I think she should submit to. But I just love her and just treat her special. Make it a lot easier for her to be submissive to me and to do those things, right? But I can't put conditions on my love, on her behavior. But wives, on the other hand, if you hold the condition of his love before I'll submit, before I'll do these things, before I'll hold him in reverence, what a statement is that? But if you condition all of that on how well he's loving you, if we make those conditions, our relationship will just like, the walls will get thicker and thicker and the division will get broader and broader. But if neither one of us puts any of those conditions on, we just do our part, do what God told us to do, it just makes it easier and easier for us to come together and have that unity. That's God's design. It's like it's, there's no depends on the other person doing what they're supposed to do. It's just do what you're supposed to do. It'll make their job so much easier. And it solves many problems. This is important. I'm going to turn to this passage of 1 Timothy chapter 5. Men have a role that's critical. We said that wives shouldn't have to feel a need to get out and get a job to help support their family. Um, but that means somebody's got to be doing that, right? So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. 
man, you got a job. <laughs> we need to make sure that we're doing that job. And if we're not, it says we've denied the faith. You're worse than an infidel. I don't care how much time you spend reading your Bible. I don't care how much time, how many services you go to at church, how many homeless people you, you give tracts to and witness to. And if you're not providing for your family, <laughs> you're worse than an infidel. You've denied the faith. What a statement. This, these are critical, important things. Uh, Thessalonians, Second mm, Thessalonians three, says that if a man does not work, neither should he eat. So if some guy is capable of going out and getting a job and providing for himself and or his family, and he shows up at your doorstep looking for a handout, don't give it to him. Says. <laughs> You're just supporting his lack of obedience to what scripture tells him to do. When somebody's in need, actual need, yeah, help them, of course. But when someone's just being lazy and not doing what they could do, it's not our job. You're just promoting the laziness. Scripture says if they're not going to work, they shouldn't eat. They shouldn't get food off of your table when you're providing for your family, when they're not willing. And we've got to be careful in our judgment of whether a person's not willing or not able for whatever reason to, to do that. But, but there's some instruction as men, and this is, this is mainly for us looking inward, not looking outward, but we are to be providers. We are to do what we can do to make our homes comfortable for our, our wives and for our children. We've looked at these passages or these statistics about divorce that relate to sexual activity before marriage and outside of marriage. And just got to look at the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And there's enough in Scripture, throughout Scripture, describing both the consequences of not following that, but just giving direction to, to contain your vessel is a scriptural statement, is we're to take control of our bodies and our desires and our lusts, and we need to wait until marriage to fulfill that aspect of that desire. And that is God's design. And, you know, our world doesn't think it matters but it matters. It changes the outcome later. Drastically changes that outcome later. And it's just scripture. God knew <laughs> ahead of time what was best for us. And he designs it that way and he gives us the instruction that way for our good. We feel like we're, we're so oppressed and the world looks at this whole thing with sexuality and you're going you're gonna to wait until you're married? Well, how oppressive. How, what a terrible religion that is. Well, my, my marriage will be happier and the chance of divorce drops substantially. I think God knows what he's talking about. There's, there's a reason for these things. It's not to oppress us. It's to give us a, a happier life and marriage. 
more fulfillment in the, the things that God has given us. It's not to oppress us, it's for our good. The Bible talks about children, I won't turn to all the verses, but in Genesis 1, God's instruction is be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. And he says the same, same thing as 8, when Noah and his family gets off the ark, is be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth like make lots of kids and fill like we're doing a good job now but it's taken a long time to fill this and we're not full <laughs> the earth isn't full people complain about overpopulation but studies show like you could house the entire world world population in a relatively small area and you could feed the world's population from a very small area of of our planet um, there's lots of room for growth if we were to do things in God's design and the way he intended. It's only overpopulated because of our sin. Psalms speaks of children... Uh, I, sorry, I know I'm going long, but I'll read this and then I'll wrap up. Psalm 127. become very self-centered our, our, we're worried about our toys and our, our abundance of things and the, our vacations and what we can do on our vacations and where we can go and we have this tendency that well if I have more kids then I can't afford this boat and the quad and the, the snowmobiles and we won't be able to afford to travel because all these kids are going to cost too much and so we restrict our families based on our worldly desires. And that's not God's design. I'll, re I'll read the whole chapter. It's really long. Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is, a vain, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, and they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. We are in such a twisted world. We know quite a few families that have seven to, to ten children. Or more, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? Every time one of those families, if you got seven kids and you're having another one, you know, the world thinks, like, what in the world? Like, they think there's something wrong that they would have a, another one? <laughs> Shocking, right? And yet, you go to those families, and there, there's there's a, a love in those families, a happiness that you don't see in a lot of small families that have all the toys and all of the things. And yeah, some of those families don't have as much worldly possessions, but they have other things that are far better. 
Happy is a man that hath his quiver full of them. That's children. And they shall not be ashamed. This is, a, this is a good thing to have a large family. And that's God's intent. And having a large family actually reduces your chance of being divorced. Your focus is more on your family often in that case. And not on your own personal desires. So anyway, um, get all these things and we just need to realize this question came to Jesus as a temptation. Are we, is it okay to get divorced for any reason? And there's only one. And that's by disobedience of one of these other things on the other person's part. God intends us to stay married, to be married to one person. Um, and all of this foolishness that happens in our world and all of this is just pure wrong. It's evil. And it's corruption that's destroying children as it's being taught to them in the schools. And I pointed out a few weeks ago when Jesus said it's better for a millstone to be hanged about their neck than to offend one of these little ones. When you're confusing children on such an important topic, those people who are causing that confusion are going to be held accountable. And that judgment, they were better off had they never been born. Let's pray.